there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. If you are new here to Oxano, the first thing we do whenever we start our time in the Word is we have a public reading of Scripture. So if you will turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 35. After I read the verse, we're going to have a call and response in Thanksgiving. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and then you guys will respond by saying, thanks be to God. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He followed Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was with Bethsaida, from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, come or can anything good come out of Nazareth. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you were the son of God. You were the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, y'all, it is good to be back together. I woke up at 3.30 this morning, and I could not go back to sleep because I was so excited about this moment right here, being able to all gather back together. I did take a little bit of a nap this afternoon, so don't worry. We're going to be able to make it through. But y'all, it's a season of new beginnings right now. Like for a lot of our folks that are here that are in school, like just there's nothing like the beginning of a new semester and like one of my favorite activities 
going and getting new school supplies, right? You go, you get that brand new box of pens, you get that notebook, and there is nothing that just like encourages you to exert mental sweat and like crank out the A's than getting new school supplies. I mean, so there are things that mark the beginning of new seasons. You know, there's the actual changing of the seasons. You know, here in Alabama, we just have a, pro, for those of you that are out of state, we just have a prolonged summer and then like two nice weekends before it gets cold and rainy all the time. So it's one of those seasons that we have the markings of the different seasons, but not like some folks that I met from New Jersey, right? You know, that you up there are very four distinct seasons that we're going through. But there are the times that there are these new beginnings that we don't realize that are happening. We don't realize we're in the midst of them. And a lot of times these have to revolve around relationships. Because, you know, it's one of the things like when school is starting back, like you have the date circled, you know when move-in day is, you know when classes start, Right? that you know roughly when this particular season in the world is coming to an end where you got to change out the wardrobes and things are going to be a little bit different outside. But a lot of times the new beginnings that we can't anticipate have to do in the arena of relationships, right? Because there's not just on a particular day where you're going to circle on a calendar and be like, I'm going to be best friends with the person today. Right? Maybe you're that way, and kudos to you if you are, but I'm not. right? And so we're going through like in relationships, when I was in third grade, I did not realize, walking into the modular building, into Miss Lucas's third grade class, that I was going to become best friends with a guy named Joshua White. It wasn't on my radar that Joshua and I, we would become lifelong friends through high school, rooming together in college that I would walk with him uh, through doing his and his wife's wedding. He would be in my wedding, and that I would walk alongside him as his father died of brain cancer, and then three years ago when we moved back to Birmingham, his mother died of breast cancer. You know, it, it wasn't on my radar for that new beginning, but it was definitely a new beginning in my life because I was now in a deep and abiding friendship with Joshua. Or it's like after my freshman year of college, I had this huge shaggy mop of hair. Like I have to put so much junk in this to make it lay down flat. And it's, it's just up straight. And so when my hair grows in college, it was just long and free, right? And so I was going through it and I had this huge mop of hair. I was getting ready to go and to work at camp. And I was really excited. I loaded up my duffels in the back of my mom's SUV. I was dropped off at the camp headquarters over in Hoover here in Birmingham. And I met one of my coworkers that was going to be on my same team. She went around and introduced me to a bunch of different folks. One of those being this gal named Becca Burns, uh, who sat on the far end of the couch. And there's a whole other story about how it were the first words we exchanged. But we'll, tell, we'll save that for later. But it was in that moment that I could not have anticipated that a new relationship was beginning. I could not have known that we would have been put together on one of the sub-teams at camp, that we would have been partnered together in Van World as we were ripping it up all over across the southeast in a 15-passenger van, that we would have long, difficult, long-distance dating and engagement, and that we would spend three and a half years in Tuscaloosa, have a son in Macon, Georgia, and then a second one when we came back to Birmingham. I could not have anticipated all that would have come and the source and the fountain of blessing that, that would have been in my life on that particular day when I just threw the duffels in the back of my mom's SUV. That a lot of time there are these new beginnings that are very easy to identify, but there are ones that kind of blindside us out of nowhere. And there was a new beginning that happened for four guys in Israel about 2,000 years ago. 
And it had to do not so much with the changing of the seasons or the beginning of a new course of study, but it had to do with a new beginning in relationships. And it comes at them out of nowhere. And as we unfold the significance of this tonight, you're going to be able to see that it's not just something that is relegated to the pages of Scripture, but that it's something that is brought forth and is significant for each and every one of us here today. We'll be in John chapter 1, as Cole has already so wonderfully read for us. We'll pick it up in verse 35 and look at that beginning portion, if you'll follow along with me. The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, he was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, look, see, recognize, take notice of, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples that were with him, they heard him say this, and they started following Jesus. Jesus, he, the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned to, and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? I love here at the beginning of the story because John the Baptist, he gets a case of the can't help it. And he just starts to blurt out when Jesus walks by, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he has two guys that are following him one's an unnamed disciple and as we see a little bit later on the other is a guy named Andrew and as they're following John they hear his message they start to look away from John away from themselves and they look to Jesus and then they start to follow Jesus they leave John but John's not been out of shape about it he's already confessed that he is not the Christ He is the one who was sent to prepare the way for him. And so we have exhibit A of him saying, I'm not the Christ. There he is. And so he has no qualms about his disciples going to follow the one who came to bring people back to God himself. And so as they go, they start to follow. And I can't help but think like Jesus is walking by, right? And then Andrew and the other unnamed disciple are just kind of like, you know, he knows we're following him, right? Like, you know, it's one of those things, like, when's he going to turn around? When's he going to say something? And then finally, Jesus turns around and looks at the disciples that were following him. He says, what are you seeking? And you see, John, uh, different John, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle, who's writing this account for us, he is loading a ton of freight into these particular words. And so when, they are see- when Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? Yeah, he could be turned around and just be like, well, so how can I help you, young fellows, right? You know, it's what are you looking for? How can I help you find it? But when he says, what are you seeking? There are a multitude of layers of what's going on. What are you looking for? What are you seeking, not just on this path that we're walking down, physical path that we're walking on, but what are you seeking in life itself? Maybe some of you are here tonight and you hear Jesus through the pages of Scripture asking those two disciples that question, but by extension asking it to you. What are you seeking? For some of you here, you're at the very beginning of your college career. For others of you, you're on your last lap and so, or somewhere in between. And you have to think, you have to answer, you have to reckon with this question. What are you seeking after? What are you pursuing? What are you giving your life to? What road are you walking down? What is it that you're seeking? Or maybe some of you are like, well, it's not so much direction, guidance, or where I'm going to be heading as a destination, but I'm seeking just significance. I'm trying to piece together 
what does all of this mean? How does this fit together? This happened to me. I thought things were going to play out this way. You have nagging questions in the back of your mind. You're seeking for truth. You're seeking for understanding. You're seeking for knowledge. And Jesus is asking, if you were to claw down to the bottom, what is it that you are seeking here tonight? And I love what the disciples do here after these two. They pull the whole whole answer a question with a question trick. Did you all notice that? That Jesus says, well, what are you seeking? And then we'll pick it up right here in the end of verse 38. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and you will see. They asked their own question back with, I mean, with a respectful title, no doubt. Rabbi, calling him teacher, where are you staying? They want to know where he's staying so that they can join him, so that they can find him, so that they can get to know him better. And if they were like me, they would want to know where he's staying to maybe be able to get, get a read on this guy. After all, John the Baptist had just said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's a, that's a pretty big deal, right? But where is he staying? What can I learn about his digs? Right? What can I learn from where he's lodging? Where can I learn from where he's staying? Where can I learn from where he is choosing to plant himself? Or maybe they want to know where he's staying because they got some stuff that they need to take care of back home. They want to figure out where we can meet up with him later at our own convenience. You know, maybe whatever the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of being able to pop in an address into GPS, right? I mean, I still start, I started driving in the days where I had to print out MapQuest directions. Some of y'all have no idea what that is. But it's one of those things like you having to, I would have loved the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of like, yeah, I'm going to be going up here about three quarters of a mile, hanging left at the post, go past the donkey trough, and then keep going until you crest the hill, then over down beside this area. You know, but that's not what they're doing. That's not what Jesus gives them. You see, they want direction. And a lot of times we want direction too. Where should I go? What should I do? How should I do these things? We want direction. And you see, where we want direction, we need to see that God is often in the business of granting an invitation. Where we want direction... God grants an invitation. You see, because directions, we can follow them, some better than others, right? But with directions, we can follow them and get there on our own. But to follow, to follow in this invitation, it requires being with that person. And so Jesus, rather than giving them directions, he gives them an invitation. And what does he say? Come and see. Come with me, and you'll see. And the disciples take him up on it. And so they follow him. We pick it up at the end of verse 39. So they, this is Andrew and the unnamed disciple, they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, it was about four o'clock. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Now Andrew, he was Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Physically brought his brother to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, that is Peter, and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. As Philip goes, runs, and finds his brother, 
I can't help but imagine like he, he runs up to him, stops, and you just sprint-induced breath, deep breaths, shallow breaths, and he's going through, and he has the sweat mingling with dirt dripping from his forehead, and he's like, we found him. Or rather, he found us. You've, you've got to come. You've got to see. And as Simon comes, and he is brought to Jesus, he is led to Christ, in a very physical sense, by his brother. And Jesus looks at him and he says, You are Simon, the son of John, but now you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew could not contain what he had found. He wasn't content to hoard it. He wasn't content to hold on to it. He wasn't content to like partition it off from his brother, but it had to be shared with other people. It's kind of like one of those things, like whenever we get to share in something that we truly enjoy with someone else, it like completes the enjoyment, right? That as we're coming through, like I love it when anybody comes to Birmingham from out of town, and one of my favorite things to do, y'all, is to go out to eat. And so like when folks are coming into town, it's like, well, I have a Birmingham food tour for you, right? And so as we're going, if we have folks that are coming in, I'm like, well, hey, what kind of cuisine you want, right? Okay, you want soul food? We're going to go to Saul's Soul Kitchen over in Avondale. You're going to get the sweet tea fried chicken sandwich with Alabama white sauce, and we're going to get fried pickles, all right? No choice. That's what you're getting. Or if we're going out for lunch to meet through, there's this little place called Johnny's right over here, and you are going to get the fried chicken you're going to get the Parmesan grit cake with the macaroni and cheese and that dinner roll at lunch. Oh, my word. Goodness gracious. Or we're going to go over to West Homewood. We're going to get some of my favorite pizza in Birmingham. We're going to get Pizzeria GM, right? Chicken parm pizza. It's going to be incredible with a basket of fries. Like, I mean, it's just nothing better. Like, so we're going through, I'm making some of you hungry that didn't come before eating dinner tonight, right? Your mouths are watering like mine is. And so I come through, and what do you do when you're at one of those places? Well, if somebody's like, well, you know, I'm not going to take your recommendation. I'm going to go here and get this. It's like, no, you, sir or madam, are going to try this, right? you got to try this. Why? Because the thing that we enjoy, it's the joy that we have in it is complete. It is completed when we share in it with other people and we see their enjoyment too. We're not content just to keep it all to ourselves or to keep it all on our own plate, but we are com so compelled to share in that enjoyment with other people. And that is what Andrew is doing right here. He invites Peter in on what he found, or rather, who found him, and Peter starts to follow Jesus. And as he's going, when Peter comes, it's the result of the testimony of another. And so this shows us that following Jesus can come in a variety of ways. That it can come through the testimony of another, right? John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God, someone bearing witness about who Christ is, and then Andrew and the unnamed disciple following. Or it can come directly as Jesus is speaking directly to Peter. And as they're coming through, like we now have this in his word. That there are a variety of ways. You might have a different story. It might be coming through like Paul with Timothy. He writes that Timothy, he received the word from his faithful mother and grandmother that pointed him to Christ in the scriptures. Or maybe you've heard stories of folks, especially on kind of like frontier missions where the darkness is being pushed back by the light on the front lines. 
of folks, like especially Muslims, coming and talking to missionaries saying that they can't escape the dreams of Jesus that they're having. Can they help them to make sense of them? That there are different ways, a variety of ways, but at the end of the day, what we are doing as we are encountering with other people is we are not doing the saving, we are not doing the finding, but rather we are bringing them to the one who is able to find. We are bringing them to the one who is able to save. We are introducing people to Jesus. We are introducing them to the one who found us. So Jesus, he's, he's not done yet. As he's gone through, he has these two and then just got Peter. But pick up with me in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip. And he said, follow me. Now, Philip, he was from Bethsaida. And that was the same city of Andrew and Peter. And so Philip, he went and found Nathanael. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Oh, I love this, y'all. We were singing it. I was standing right over here when we were singing it earlier. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold, come and see. It's like we planned it, right? And so we're coming over here. And as we're looking at this, that he is the fulfillment of the law in him we stand. That Philip right here is saying, We have found him of whom Moses and the law, the Old Testament, the prophets that they wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You see, Jesus had come and he had found Philip. He initiated, he found him, and he said, follow me. And Philip, he begins to follow, but again, he can't contain it. He can't partition it off. He can't keep it to himself. It has to be expressed. He's so compelled to be able to share in it with others and to bring them into the same enjoyment that he now has. And what does he do? He goes and he finds Nathaniel. Do you see the pattern emerging? The pattern is this, that found people find people. Found people find people. And the thing about it is that when we find them, it's not so, like we said earlier, that we can come and that we can do the saving. Not so that we can come in and that we can get the glory. Not so that we can get the benefit, but we find them to what end? So that we can bring them back and that we can introduce them to Jesus. Those who have found something truly worthwhile invite others into what they have found, or in this case, what has found them. And you see... We have right here in these two episodes that Jesus found Philip who went and found Nathaniel. One instance, the found went to find their family. And in the other, the found went to find their friends. The people that they knew. And y'all, sometimes we think about going and finding, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, introducing people to Jesus, that it's something that is just reserved for the street corners and overseas. And yes, that is crucial, highly important. But sometimes we forget, we neglect to be able to share and to seek to find those that are in our spheres of influence right where we're at. With our own family, with our own friends. It was just a little while ago, I was going through and I was, I meet with a group of guys via Zoom. We're spread out across different cities and states on Sunday nights. And as we were going through just to be able to catch up with each other, we've been friends since high school, and how we can pray for each other, how we can encourage one another. And one of the ways I asked the guys to pray with me was like, yeah, I just, uh, I feel like I'm in a bubble sometimes. Like everybody that I know is a believer, and I'm just really 
praying for someone to be able to share the gospel with. And so asked, you know, that for a few weeks, asked that for a few weeks, and then it was one night before bedtime. Uh, Becca and I were sitting in the den of our house just right across the street, and Thomas, our four-year-old, comes out, and there's just something about questions late at night, right before bedtime. Maybe you were that way, and it was just a, you know, a ploy to avoid going to bed because you're like, oh, mom and dad, I want to talk about Jesus late at night, so I don't got to go to sleep yet. But as we're going through and the little questions that Thomas is bringing up and the way that I'm able to see thoughts in his mind clicking together, just really felt the Holy Spirit press it in on me that I have somebody to share the gospel with in my own house of my own flesh and blood. We pray for his salvation every night before we go to bed, but I have the honor, I have the responsibility as a found person to help to try to find people and not to save them in my own strength, but to introduce them to the one who has done so for me. That it's not just something that is out there, far removed, distant. It is there, yes, but it is not only there. Sometimes it is introducing folks in your spheres of influence, your family and your friends, and sometimes that can be even harder, can it not? but found people, find people. And as we come right here, we need to understand that people have very different responses. Because everybody up until this point, Andrew went and found his brother Peter. Oh yeah, great, I'll begin following Jesus. Wonderful. You know, it's great how, when things work out like that. But now Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. He's just a little skeptical. Look at this in verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good out of Nazareth? Anything. I mean, really. Nazareth? Nathaniel wasn't buying it. Maybe you're like Nathaniel. You're just a little bit skeptical. Like with Nathaniel right here, I mean, you really believe this Jesus guy was real. He did all of those things. You really believe there's a greater purpose and a reason for all of this. There's a lot of skepticism laced through this question, but not just skepticism. There's a little bit of prejudice as well. Nazareth? Really? That that country town, you really think that the Messiah raised there? Come on now. We have some precedent for it. Nah, he didn't know that he was fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures and being born in Bethlehem, but he just immediately rid him off. No. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But maybe you're like Nathaniel. You have preconceived notions about who Jesus is, about what following him is all about. Can anything really good come from Christ? Or the people that claim to represent him? Because I've seen too many news sound bites. I've seen too many angry Facebook posts. I've seen too many of this, that, and the other in the community. And I don't think that any good can come out of following Jesus. And if I were to share and try to introduce somebody to Jesus and I get that kind of response, I would immediately in my own natural tendencies just kind of either fight or flight, right? Well, you know, and go into launching and all this other kind of stuff and try to intellectually pick the other person apart or I would just retreat immediately. Just be like, okay, not today. Good, okay, I'll come back later, right? But I think what Philip does right here is instructive for us. Look at what he says in the end of verse 46. Philip said to him, come and see. The same words that Jesus had used 
and calling those first two disciples the day before. Come and see. Because, you see, where we want an explanation, God grants an invitation. You see, the first time we wanted direction, and God grants an invitation. But right here, where we want an explanation, God grants an invitation. You see, sometimes what is needed is not a long theological oration or a page, essay-long personal comment on somebody's Facebook post or an angry shouting match across the dinner table, but simply a personal invitation for someone to come and see for themselves. Uh, Charles Spurgeon might be a name that you're familiar with, maybe you're not familiar with, but I mean, if, if you don't know him, I mean, he was just this larger-than-life figure in the 1800s over in London. Great Baptist preacher, I mean, he's just a character if you start to learn a little bit more about him. But I mean, he could pre preach the paint off the walls. And it drew thousands together to be able to hear the gospel multiple times a day. And in his age, you know, especially over in Europe, 1800s, very much influenced by in the Enlightenment as it was coming through, like rational thought, what we can see, feel, sensory experience is king. Like really a lot of the supernatural, out with the old, in with the new kind of mentality. And there were a lot of people that felt the need, kind of similar to our day, is it not? To stand up, to defend the faith. And there's a right and good and important place for that. But Spurgeon, in his day and age, noted man, that that was like all that was being written about were these intellectual, theological treatises about how this or that could be defended, how this or that could stand and hold water. And listen to this. We're going to throw the quote up on the screens. But this is what he was speaking into his day and age. A great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it is a very right and proper thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are the most books of that kind, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I suggest to them that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him. For he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and see who will dare approach him. The lion of the tribe of Judah will soon drive away all of his adversaries. Let me talk to the Christ followers in the room for a moment. If you're anything like me, you get to be a little hesitant when it comes to finding other people and trying to introduce them to Jesus because I play out every conversation before I have it. I try to anticipate every objection or every possible thing that they could say and how, I, it's almost like a game of chess trying to figure out they move this way, I move this. They move this way, I do this. And I psych myself out and I'm not going to be able to simply go up and to bear witness about the good work that God has done in my life. But you see, the thing about it is, when we go through, and Scripture does say we need to be ready to give an answer. Yes, exactly. But we need to be able to, what Scripture says, to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. In Christ, 
Yes, I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it, but I don't want you to be intellectually paralyzed or to think that you have to know a certain amount before you can go and start sharing Christ with other people. That there is not a certain threshold that you have to be able to meet. You have to be following Jesus and be able to invite others to follow you in that same pursuit. I want you to move from being a warrior to being a witness. And what does a witness do? They simply bear witness. They tell others about the things that they've seen, heard, and experienced. And so what does it mean when found people find people? When we are trying to introduce people to Jesus? Well, a lot of times it is trying to recapture them from the caricatures that society has painted of them. Or from folks that have just done a lot of reading of the secondary sources but haven't gone to the primary source itself. So what would I encourage you to do? Invite folks to read the Bible with you. I have a guy named Seth that we pray for up in Toronto, and he works with university students up there, international students from all over the world coming, and one of the greatest successes that he's been able to see in his ministry is inviting international students to read the Bible with him and letting the Word do the work. And it's not he should, she said about Jesus, but they are able to go directly to the source and to see who he is and what he claimed about himself and the work that he came to do and that he is continuing to do to this day. Inviting people to read the word together. When you're coming together, you bearing witness about the work of God in your own life and how your life has been changed. That we're going through, there's a host of ethical quandaries and things that we could get involved with today. And yes, we need to be able to speak clearly and convictionally and kindly about all of these things. But I had a professor, an older mentor at one point say that God's people need to recover the lost art of the Christian testimony. Of you being able to simply share about God's good work in your life with other people. Sharing your story. It's inviting them over to your dorm, inviting them over to your apartment, inviting them over to your house with your family so they can see what it looks like tangibly to live under grace. It's inviting them to be a part of the church, the gathered worship of the people of God in grace and in truth, coming together, coming and seeing corporately, individually, as we're not having to just have all of the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. That's a great question. I haven't thought about it in that exact way before. I'm going to go do some reading. I'm going to go have some conversations, and I'd love to pick this back up. You don't have to fit everything into one conversation. You just have to be a faithful witness to the things that God has done in and through your life. And when we do that, when we recover this come-and-see language, we are following in the steps of the unnamed disciple and Andrew and Peter. We are following in the steps of Philip and Nathaniel. We are following in the steps of Christ. And Jesus, he, he gets up there with Nathaniel. And Jesus says, Finally, a dis- Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, You know me? <laughs> I don't know you. He said, Yeah, before Philip went and got you, I saw you under the fig tree. And it's at that point, I don't entirely know what that means. It's baffled scholars and what is the significance, all of that surrounding. But we do know based on Nathaniel's reaction, he calls him teacher, he calls him Messiah, he calls him king. And Jesus, what does he do? He says, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. That I am inviting you to follow 
I'm inviting you to see a new way of living. I am inviting you to life with God and what it looks like under His rule and His reign and in His love. Follow me. Come and see. Come and see my teaching. Because they would see many wonders, many signs, miracles, hear incredible teaching as He is going all over the ancient Near Eastern countryside. And they would see Him in the days leading up to and the day of His death when He was put on the kangaroo court, falsely accused, tried, and then pushed through to execution. And where Jesus hung on the cross with the full weight of the sin of humanity. And there are sin dying with Him. They would see Him there. And it would not compute for them that this is the one that they had left everything to follow. They had come. They had seen. And this was it. But where they saw it as the greatest defeat, it was actually the greatest victory for us. Because it was there on the cross that Jesus dealt with our greatest problem, our sin, that separated us from being with Him eternally. They saw Him there on the cross. They saw His body taken down. They saw His body laid in the tomb. But they would also see His new resurrection life again. And what happens in Matthew 28? Yeah, we get the Great Commission at the end. But right there at the beginning of that chapter, when the women are coming to the tomb, and the angel says, come in and see where they laid Him. He is not there. Come and see Him in His new resurrection life. And He would appear again to the disciples. He would appear again to the 40 and to other people before ascending to the right hand of the Father and now sending His Spirit. The one and the same Spirit that opens the eyes of our hearts. Do you, your, your heart has eyes. I know it's kind of a strange thought. But when we look at what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. The, the same invitation is extended today. In following Him, Jesus is saying, come and see. And you're like, well, how do I see? Like, I so would love to be able to see Jesus physically here today, but I'm unable to do that. Well, Jesus, as He said to believing Thomas, I'm trying to get him to stop calling him doubting Thomas. He ended up believing as he said to believing Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is those who have seen with the eyes of their heart that they are unable to shake the experience, the knowledge, the relationship, the being found by God himself. And in that being found, not being exposed, but robed in his righteousness, with grace is our crown. That you can be found today. That you can follow Christ today. 
the same invitation is still there. Come and see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for initiating, for starting, for not leaving us to our own devices and in our own sin-dead ways of living, but God, that you have come. Jesus, we thank you for seeking and for saving the lost. And God, for those here in this room that have been found by you, I pray that we here at the beginning, in this new beginning of a new semester, we would be reminded of our new beginning in Christ. And that we would be so compelled to go and to find others that we, not saving them, but introduce them, we would be able to introduce them to the one who has given us new life. And Father, for those who are here tonight that don't know you, God, I pray that they would be able to know the same Jesus that has revealed himself in this word, who has revealed himself to me and to others in this room, God, that they would be able to know and have full assurance of faith that he has come, that he loves them, that he has taken away their sin and given them eternal life. We thank you, God, for finding, for seeking, Would you help us to see? Would you help us to point others to the one who has given us sight? We pray this humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.